that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Hello there, this is Canon Andrew Brazier. And this is Venerable Isaac Rayburg. Welcome to the Miserable Offenders Podcast. How are you doing there? Oh, I'm doing good. Life is life is nice. My my little one turns six. Or actually, my oldest turns six tomorrow. I'm feeling like an old guy. That's exciting. That's, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. How, how are you? Hey, doing good, doing good. Hey, you're still young. You're still young because I actually have a, a seven-year-old. So uh, if anything, it makes me older than you. So I don't even know what the math is on our age. So Well, I'm pretty sure you all got started a bit earlier than you did. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> what can you say you know yeah. but hey they, they say that kids you know uh make you feel younger um i have like our our third kiddo who is um will be two months old tomorrow actually and so, uh I, I think that saying is a bunch of hogwash i just feel older <laughs> and tired <laughs> yeah I, i'm looking forward to uh finally be- done with diapers because our, our young is going to be out of them pretty soon so that's, oh, that's a big that's milestone awesome. right there <laughs> that's that's a big money saver too so oh my gosh <laughs> that's too good but no no seriously you know if anyone's listening kids are fantastic um it it was you know a life changer and uh and people like hear that and they think well you're probably just kind of predisposed like like i wasn't you know i wasn't hostile towards kids but i wasn't like oh i can't wait to be a dad it was just yeah, this is going to happen as part of, of, you know, quite frankly, being a Christian, you know, like, you know, having kiddos. And uh, we had a difficult time having uh, children for the longest time. So we thought that mm. we may have to do adoption. So it's near and dear to our heart, everyone who struggles. But when I did finally become a father, I was like, this is amazing, you know, like extremely exhausting. You know, you really realize how great a sinner you are and how much <laughs> life is all about you uh, until you have kids. But uh, but really the best vocation um that, that one can really hope and ask for it, it really is it really is sanctifying um i i, I recall some different pastors saying something to be effective yeah marriage and children are going to be the most sanctifying thing you're going to do uh because yeah. it's going to yeah. it's going to show you <laughs> how much grace you yeah. need <laughs> and you know i, I was well, the same uh, way I, I was the same way i i was uh, um ambivalent the idea of being a dad and and mm-hmm. um my wife had been told uh, about a year before we got she'd probably never be able to have kids so oh wow yeah 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 being able to have two was uh was a real blessing and absolutely and, and yeah and it's it's it is an amazing thing even though like like you particularly just one way or the other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um yeah so that's kind of spurred me eventually to start uh, doing my own blogging, and uh, mm. if you're somebody who made a <laughs> who made a comment uh, on social media, naturally talked about like we don't need like someone else doing another podcast or another blog, <laughs> I responded. I was like, well, I'm doubly convicted on that one. <laughs> 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 doing this podcast and 
and previously mm-hmm. being more active in blogging. But that's what inspired me to to looking at uh, family prayer and uh, and I mean, I was I'm no expert now, and I was no expert before, but I realized. All right, I'm responsible for raising a child. Then, when I started blogging, a child in the faith, and now uh, three in the faith. And uh, the prayer book, uh, you know, thank God, has great model for uh, for leading people to, um, you know, regular prayer life and teaching the catechism and um, and the Lord's prayer and the the creed, so that you can be confirmed, you know, one day. So yeah, we chant the Lord's prayer at our prayer class because we chant everything. Uh, that's awesome. It's good. But uh, yeah, at dinner, we're, we're eating pizza yesterday and my two-year-old yeah. starts chanting the Lord's Prayer and she's got the first half down and yeah. she's done. She's like, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> that's awesome. We, we, we got three, Lord, three Lord's Prayers uh, Yeah, two-year-old last night and was like, okay, these things are working because I have not sat down with her on this. It's you know, I've, I've been a more intentional with the older one than the two-year-old, but uh yeah, it's yeah. it's neat to see how these how these time things do indeed work. Absolutely, and I, and that's where I give credit to where the way I learned the Apostles' Creed was because I'd go to church at the Methodist church is where I was raised, and uh, and granted they do omit the line of he descended to hell, so I had to pick that up when I uh, became Anglican, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it's actually probably my favorite line out of it. Um, for various reasons, just the, the depth of, of what Christ does on Holy Saturday really strikes me. But uh, anyway, my, my uh, kiddos, you know, have learned as well, just from attending, being in the pews. Uh, the only thing that they can they can sing is uh, the glory be. They'll break out into that every now and then. Which, oh, that's uh, good. Really refreshes the soul. Yeah. But, uh, I, need, I need to listen to your uh, broadcast. Y'all, y'all do a great job uh, at your parish at All Saints. So I can listen in because I'm not musically talented. I can't read music or anything. <laughs> I can't sing either, to be quite honest. But I can sometimes chant okay, and it's good just to listen to, to someone else do it to try to model and and, uh, and find your voice. So. And for whatever it's worth, um, you know the way the way that we typically yep. do it for morning prayer is the majority of what we have on YouTube um, is just me morning prayer for our homebound. Yeah. You know during COVID. Uh, is a bit different because it's it's a it's pretty much just a straight straight monotone with a with inflection on the on um mm-hmm. for the lord's um we do the one we do in in communion um i think it's it's based on a ninth century melody i, I think the 1940 Ooh. hymnal says very ancient <laughs> you know, that's a, <laughs> it was like okay <laughs> you tell us uh, but, oh sorry um, that's great that's it's a uh, that's that's pretty that, yeah, that's that's what we we do, and um, I'm pretty sure one one of my most watched videos, kind of a tutorial on chanting yeah. from the 28, um, using what we have, some of the stuff we have from the 1940, and um, I'm pretty sure that one that I do teach on that for for whatever it's worth. That's fantastic. I'm gonna have to check so, that out. And, uh, yeah, man. If, if you want to hear how not to do it, then you can listen sometimes to, to my church's, uh, my parish's <laughs> podcast, and, and you can grimace. You know, someone commented uh, on my, not comment, but, but told me the other day, like, you know, who is the cantor who does, like, the, the opening and closing? <laughs> I was like, it's not me. <laughs> so, that is amazing boy. how much a good good cantor make, makes all the difference. Um, yeah 
a good canter carry thing. So that's that's a blessing. Well, I really got us all off topic there, but good to, to kind of talk about you know your, your ministry and and it's a good resource. I mean, I, I really have to vouch for. It. I really appreciate what you do uh, on your uh, parish YouTube page and, and podcast there uh, because it's a resource for all Anglicans and not just for for us clergy, but for anybody, for anyone of laity or anyone who's you know, Anglo curious, as they say, uh, in terms of, of what is part of uh, the Anglican tradition. But uh, but that's hilarious about the 1940, 1940, very ancient. Very ancient. <laughs> that, that just sounds like, you know, the committee was in the room. They're like, well, how old is this? And someone's like, it's very ancient. And then someone just literally, you know, the typist, the secretary was like, very ancient and just put it down. And, yeah, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, we're, we're continuing through uh, knowing God through the liturgy, and we had the, the noble intention of finishing up chapter four, but we had a great discussion uh, last go around, and uh, we're now at the last section. So we will get through chapter four today, but this last section is called His uh, Majesty, and, uh, you know, it's kind of appropriate. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think you or I ever read through before we actually do a podcast, because we're that Usually. <laughs> So there's a little peek behind the curtain, everybody, if you couldn't tell already. And uh, but this really flows well with our conversation about uh, chanting and uh, and about uh, worship. So I'll, I'll go ahead and pick up the, the first uh, paragraph here of his majesty. One of the great losses in modern worship and thus modern Christianity is that of the inner sense, the glorious majesty, the wonderful transcendence and greatness of the Lord, our God. Quote, the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty. Psalm 93, 1. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty. Psalm 145, 5. This recognition of majesty has been called, quote, a sense of the numinous, quote, and, quote, the fear of the Lord, quote. So often Anglicans have sung, the Lord is a great God and a great king. O come, let us worship and bow down. From Psalm 95. In the Bible, one of the most obvious examples of the recognition of majesty is the abasement and attitude of Isaiah in the temple when he saw the glorious majesty of God, the king above all kings, and heard the angelic cry of worship, holy, 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 from Isaiah 6. What a great way to really go into uh, this conclusion of the chapter of talking about the comparison and differences between, not in detail, but, but the comparison and, and differences between uh, modern worship and, uh, and I forget when, Dr. Toon is writing this work. I want to say late 80s. I could be wrong with that. Maybe yeah, I was not. thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Late 80s, early 80s. Yeah. And so you're already seeing uh, very much, you know, the, the seeker-sensitive uh, movement. The, the worship, war, worship wars are, uh, you know, very much going on in terms of uh, contemporary uh, modern worship, uh, which, you know, at, at its worst is the glorified Christian rock concert versus the traditional uh, worship of, of the church. And I like how he draws us here to scripture about we need to have a, a reverence of God and just how wonderful he is. As he says, the wonderful transcendence and greatness of the Lord our God. And I think that we, we lose that, um, that respect of God and that wonder in worship, even in our traditional prayer book, uh, worship in terms of like the individual members of our parishes of getting them to realize you're entering into the presence of, of holiness. Yeah. I, I think, I think it was a guy. Um, you know, he was, when, when he was kind of using on some of this in his part of the church, pretty sure it was Augustine. 
um, they were just beginning to introduce hymnody in, in, you know, in, in Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. And, um, which I know there were hymns that were a lot older, but I, but so I don't, I don't know the exact liturgical context, but I remember him um, writing something to the effect of kind of being afraid um, introducing him at all to detract from the majesty by focusing on you know, itself or the, mm-hmm. the, you know the singing and that sort of thing. So, I mean, even within its most kind of what we would consider real venerable, um, it it seems like the lack of losing focus is always always a temptation, always a danger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and I, I can say from my own my own experience. I I, I, I do morning and evening prayer most time when I when I'm doing them um, because I prefer to do it that way, and it and it, and it really helped <laughs> helped internalize mm-hmm. this altar uh, in, in particular. But yeah, I it's it's not on me to catch myself realizing okay, I'm kind of focusing on what's going on here physically and mm-hmm. not on I'm actually praying here. So yeah, I mean that's it's a, it's a constant danger. Yeah, yeah. And then, we'll say that point. I, yeah, I really appreciated uh, the quotes that he brought in from uh, from the uh, the Psalms because two yes. of those three were <laughs> were in in my own morning um, um, stuff this morning. <laughs> what can you say it's providential? So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and it's interesting because I really appreciate this. I'm actually reading through. Um, uh, a recent work that I obtained. I'm actually looking forward to it. Of course, I've misplaced it. I have, if you can see my desk right now, I have probably a dozen books stacked in <laughs> a variety of manners with no real uh, meaning to uh, the organization or lack thereof. But uh, I recently uh, purchased a book that was talking about uh, worship and why um, you know, worship is liturgical. Uh, all the way to um, the, the early church uh, and beyond the early church, going to uh, the, the church of Israel, going into the the Old Testament, and I'm going to to butcher um, his name. It's Paul um, Castellano. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, Father Paul uh, Castellano. He's part of the um, United uh, Episcopal Church of, of North America. And um, he has a book called As It Is in Heaven, a Biblical, Historical, and Theological Introduction to the Traditional Church and Her Worship. The short title there is As It Is in Heaven. And uh, I'll put that in the show notes in case anyone's interested in it. And I'm working through it. I'm through chapter three, some early on. And I'm really enjoying the work that he's put in, in terms of showing the foundation of our worship and why we worship as liturgical Christians. So it very much applies to any liturgical um, Christian group. And of course, he's from an Anglican context, so it fits well with, with us. And he does a great job of really talking about the, the beauty of it. And in the chapter I just finished, which I think was chapter three, he mentions briefly about chanting and it goes back and roots chanting into um, the scripture. And you made a comment to kind of link this together that really you know, reverberated with me of it helps you to focus on the words of scripture and to know them. And that's a great point. I've never thought about that on, on why do I like chanting? Because um, part of it is really the beauty of, of chanting. But you're absolutely right that I have learned, uh, you know, canticles, you know, which are coming from the scriptures. 
uh, due to morning and evening prayer and due to learning how to chant. And that's one of the beauties of uh, before you uh, before I discovered your um, content for All Saints, uh, you're doing, you know, your, your chanting tutorial and just listening to you chant. I've always enjoyed and appreciated Cradle of Prayer, uh, which oh, also yeah. uses the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. They now got an app for Apple. They have coming soon for uh, for Android. Sadly, it's it's been like that for quite some time. But you can listen to it even if you don't have a uh, an iPhone or an or Apple uh, podcasting uh, by going straight to their website. And they've yeah, got I didn't a, realize a tutorial. Yeah, yeah, they've got an, an app. Well, wait, am I saying that wrong? Because oh, or <laughs> podcasts podcast that's what it is okay so they yep. don't sorry they, they don't have an app <laughs> yeah. so yeah thank you for correcting me yeah they, they don't have an app they have a podcast that's on uh, apple Podcasts, and uh, i don't know if it's elsewhere or not it's worth looking at yeah but if I they're not so. i would hope so yeah because it's a fantastic resource but that's one way that i've learned uh how to chant really chant with someone by you know matching them um, and it brings not only a level of, of beauty, which drew me into it, but like you said, uh, Father, it really it brings, you know, the memorization of Scripture um, at such a much easier level. Have um, On the website, they'll have, if memory serves, the um, where they're getting their chant. Chant is all yeah, stuff yeah. from the from the party. So um, even the plain chant is kind of an Anglican chant adaptation, although. She's only mm-hmm. she's only doing the part, um, the melody, but um, yeah, it's yeah. There there have been seasons where um, my own prayer time is speaking prayer is more heavily reliant on cradle of prayer than <laughs> than me sitting doing it myself. And after a while, yeah, uh, yeah I, I hear her too rather than mine, even though I've probably done mine more because it, it just yeah. it just goes on in in your mind. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to pick up these next two because they seem to flow together. Um, these Sounds good. Paragraphs. Deep conviction and sense of the transcendent awesome mystery, Tremendum, who is God, is absent. Resulting low view of God regrettably can occur and even ha- has even occurred where there is a general commitment to Trinitarian theism has not only been the cause of general diminishing sense of awe and wonder in worship, but also of a host of practical errors and evils within the churches. At least so few seem to be aware of this loss because any idle sense of divine transcendence is absent from the surrounding culture as well as from the popular religious mind of today. Where so much emphasis has been placed in popular piety on God's personal, that is, personal in the sense that we are personal, weak effective and inadequate, they lost the sense of the omnipotent and almighty Lord who is God. Certainly he is personal, but personal as the Lord, who is majestic and great, and who in his sovereign freedom establishes personal relationship with his creatures. I'm reminded of something I heard on um, Jordan Cooper's podcast yesterday. Um, yeah. On, and though for those who know, uh, Cooper is a Lutheran pastor who his his specialty academic is patristics. And this was a Q&A one. Someone had asked him about um, the new, you know, what happened in the new 
optimism is a dead. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing that really popped up in the early, early 2000s. Um, you know, with the Mark Driscoll and all that sort of thing, the young, restless, and reform sort of world. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says, yeah, it's, it's pretty gone um, because a lot of what it was gone culturally is also gone. I mean, it's, it's not, yeah. But, um, you know, you know he, he said largely because um, evangelicals, like mm-hmm. as himself was, had been fed such a shallow form of the faith when they were growing up in kind of evangelicalism mm-hmm. that hunger and that that more root of of the new capitalism really spoke to that particular need. And then mm-hmm. he talked about some of the shifting things in culture and he he said he expects that what we're going to see um Forward and in his mind, we're already beginning to see is beyond that kind of generic theological um, rootedness that we saw in Calvinism. You know, really, really in, in the five the five points Calvinism, the solas, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. into the actual more more historically grounded approaches to faith. So we're going to mm-hmm. see, and he says, you know, that that the rise of of folks like the Davenant and and some of the that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. That 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 um, historic. Various forms. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that historic process. Various forms is kind of rising, and so we're going to see more people go to classical Lutheranism, kind of high church mm-hmm. sort of Lutheranism, and of course, Anglicanism. Okay. Um, from the evangelical world, uh, thing, and I, and I think that magic yeah. idea is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that his assessment is correct. I kind of suspect I wanted to listen to that episode, I haven't had a chance to, and I figured that's where he was going to go in terms of saying that yes, new Calvinism is dead. But I think that, um, we're seeing a good renaissance in terms of. Uh, coming to classical uh, Christian theology, uh, especially with the magisterial tradition of the Reformation. And I think it's good to kind of look back to our, our fundamentals, to our uh, distinctions, to really to be good Anglicans, good Lutherans, and good uh, Presbyterians. Because then we can have a more, um, I don't want to say legitimate dialogue, but more hopefully fruitful and productive dialogue with each other. Um, and I find myself in the same position of when it comes to, to those Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox who really rediscover their distinct distinctives mm-hmm. and uh, you can have a conversation with them because when it comes to, at least in, in my personal limited experience of American Christianity, and I'm in the Bible belt, um, uh, you know, for crying out loud, that really it boils down to the, the average cultural Christianity was a moralism uh, yes, moralistic therapeutic theism, you know, is, is the term that's commonly used. And and uh, and very much that's how people view Christianity of like, well, I mean, do you have your morals right? And when it comes to moral theology, not that's not important. It's just that's not that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know. Right. Uh, morality is part of, you know, being alive in the spirit and walking with Christ. But that's not the end all be all. And the point that I'm really trying to make, I'm dragging it out, is that I think that with us, you know, going back to our faith traditions and becoming stronger in, in terms of, of who we are and our identities, we can have this conversation a lot better on, on how to, to 
co-labor as Christians together, because uh, morally speaking, you know, we're on the same page. You know, that's not the, the question. Theologically speaking about, you know, theological distinctives, you know, and even how we worship, you know, we do have some differences there. But I look forward to this kind of, you know, strengthening and, and having stronger bonds with, you know, like-minded Christians um, who you can respectfully disagree with on theological topics. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, yeah, and he, and he did, he did mention specifically yeah, moral therapeutic deism being um, the default religion of, of, of Protestantism, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, kind of that evolution of, <laughs> of American Protestantism. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, I very very exciting yeah and, and tune here had been writing kind of in the heyday of that was really the focus um you know though those millennials were, were children at the time writing yeah. um so they yeah. sunday school watching the details mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know at this time <laughs> you weren't catechized on veggie tales <laughs> Wasn't right. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, uh, oh, Phil Vash Vasher, I forget his last name. You know, kind of who started Veggie Tales. Yeah. Um, you know, he he says his big mistake he made with that was making it too moralistic in the gospel mm-hmm. not being there. You know, and he and yeah. he even you know he says today, I I wish I had if I could begin, I would mm-hmm. I would have it more more and less less moralism yeah yeah that's good and that being said you know i mean veggie tales not knocking on it completely you know you can definitely yeah. use it <laughs> my, yeah i yeah, you know. love it yeah absolutely yeah yeah but that's too good yeah well i'll pick up with the next two two paragraphs here few christians and even fewer preachers appear to have high and lofty thoughts of the lord our god instead of being lost in wonder love and praise at the thought of his majesty we tend to think of him only as around us and with us here and now of course, he is omnipresent and in the created order by the Holy Spirit and thus imminent in the world. But he is only imminent because he is first transcendent, high and lifted up as Isaiah saw and knew him in his vision. Perhaps the problem is we think that from the imminence of God towards his transcendence rather than from his transcendence to his imminence. In fact, it is probably true to say that there is an emerging sense of the irrelevance of the older Christian doctrine of transcendence of the Lord our God. For modern people appear to need a God with whom they can easily identify and be part of or negotiate with. If we could regain the conviction in mind and heart that is only by the creating and sustaining dynamic word of the Lord that each of us and everything around us actually exists and is kept in being, then we'd realize that God, the creator, must be transcendent to be imminent. And if to recognize that he is the transcendent creator, the infinite, eternal majesty on high, glorious in holiness and perfect in purity, holy beyond our thoughts and aspirations, then we would be also, excuse me, then we would also both begin to appreciate his mercy and grace in revealing himself to us and his infinite condescension in becoming man, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. To this end, we could do nothing more useful than meditate upon Isaiah 40, 12, where the greatness and majesty of God is so very powerfully presented. To whom will ye compare me that I should be likened, says the Holy One, verse 25. We learn in the book of Proverbs. So sorry, let's go to the next paragraph. I'll stop there. <laughs> so a, a lot of good content he has there. And he's 
really speaking to me because it's something I've dropped recently in my sermons, you know, as like a thought, an idea, but he really fleshes out what's been percolating in my mind in terms of we really don't take the holiness of God very seriously and just how great and how, you know, beyond us and beyond our comprehension, uh, God is so that when he gives us grace and mercy, how amazing and incredible it is when he doesn't have to do that at all. And much less the fact that the incarnation that he steps into creation, you know, lowering himself and becoming man because he loves us that much and has that much mercy for us. I hadn't really thought about this idea of, um, the difference it would make beginning with his imminent and then moving there towards his transcendence versus beginning from his transcendence and moving towards his imminence in our, in our thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think about that a bit more, but, yeah. but it feels, it feels right, you know, kind of diagnosing some of this problem, you know, that, and, and, and how that has an impact on the holiness of God, um, you know, and, and, you know, we, we, we see this much in, in the in the musical expressions of worship. You know, so, you know, in, yes. in writing and songwriting, where mm-hmm. you know the stereotype is this much of CCM is Jesus is my boyfriend kind of songs. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and his love without ever addressing his holiness, majesty, uh, how big he is, mm-hmm. and. and uh, yeah, I think I think I, I think that's really textural mm-hmm. speak to that. Our our liturgy will speak to that. I mean, is affected by by which direction we're moving in. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I'll add to that is that you know it's something that um, Eastern Orthodox uh, or certain parts of Eastern Orthodox is really latched onto. There was a, a meme that. That someone has made and it's gone around in Eastern Orthodox uh, circles that says stop singing uh, or don't want to sing love songs to Jesus, then uh, then chant, you know, to, to the holy God or something like that. And hmm. it was very much kind of geared towards uh, trying to capture uh, men. And it was making a, a point there. It's like, you know, there's a lot of reasons probably why men have left the church. But, yeah, if you're just kind of singing a Jesus is my boyfriend song. It's not going to be appealing to a guy. It just it never is. But uh, but you know, thinking about and contemplating the fact that you're walking before the holy, almighty God, Maker of heaven and earth, and uh, and bringing beautiness to worship. Um, you know, not only through chanting, but but chanting obviously really captured my heart. Uh, but but also in terms of the you know the, the beauty of the church. And, and, and look, where I'm worshiping out of a uh, storefront church, you know, it's the last thing yeah. that you expect an Anglican church to be at, but on the inside, we've done the best we can with what we've got right, to right. make it, you know, look, um, you know, I don't want to say churchly, but, but look otherworldly to look heavenly uh, by incorporating some of the aspects of what you see in revelation and the worship of, of heaven. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important to point out that, you know, you don't have to be Baroque or Gothic to have yeah. Um, yeah. a, a um of holiness a sense of dignity and 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 um and whatnot in worship i mean you, you can have that same um the transcendence and the holiness and, and 
the beauty and dignity of worship in a very simple place. I and mean, we see this all mm-hmm. the time in some of these old white church houses. Um, and and you know, granted, the building always wins. You're never going to force, you know, a uh, a storefront to be function the same way a, a, a cathedral would. But you can mm-hmm. still do, you know, you can still amazing an amazing worship place that's not really overly familiar you know and, mm-hmm. and so yeah that's 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 and, and i i would also point out is, is you know as much type of of cc music there has also been a sense of of him him being really yes, good and like the gettys mm-hmm. townsend those types of folks mm-hmm. um, and you know some of that was incorporated in the uh, in the new Reformed Episcopal Church hymnal that 2019, um, which also published as you know it's their book, of, but it's also our book of common prayer, something like that. I'm yeah, book of common praise. You're right. Yeah, yeah, book of common praise. I'm getting stuff, but but it's also worship. It's something else for for more generic ACNA circles and. And I forget what it is, like celebration of praise, or I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the, the rebranded uh, version of it is. But yeah, it's Book of Common Praise, which I think is a lot better <laughs> titling. And that's the, the version that I had when it first came out. Yeah, uh, me too. REC Hymnal. And um, it, it'll probably hit me after we stop recording. But yeah, they, they have it. It's Maybe from ACNA. Something like that, you know. Yeah. I can't quite remember. But um, there's two different... Uh, magnify the Lord. That's Ma- what it is. It's only because yeah, I had go. to look it up because I was sitting here wondering. <laughs> I was like, "It's going to bug me." Yeah, they actually sell it on the Anglican House Publishers website in either the Magnify the Lord or Book of Common Praise. And uh, I don't think I don't buy one of these because of what I think for any reason <laughs> in life. But I don't think there's a difference between the two. I think it's just like a branding because the Book of Common Praise on the cover says Reformed Episcopal Church, and so they retitled i don't know why they just say book of common praise acna on the front but anywho uh i I really appreciate that hymnal um we don't use that hymnal throughout i usually i I print the text in our Mm -hmm. our bulletins of common praise (laughs) bulletins of common praise yeah Yeah. we use the actual books uh yeah of common prayers that way we can we teach people on how to use the book, but we have our bulletin that does have the, the hymns printed in there for, for ease of use. So. And, you know, I'll, I'll have to I'll kind of touch base with you on how to use the physical books. I, I yeah. of our, our, our parishes in, in our diocese troubles because they don't have the physical 2019s, but because of just navigating without being overly complex. Um, and I have some suspicion on how that might be but um anyway um yeah we're gonna we're using the 1940 hymnal right now but we're going to be adapting the uh, book of grays later on this year most likely um because our 40 are all kind of falling apart yeah and yeah. um right we get through um churches publisher and i didn't realize that okay yeah, uh, and their um, the quality current printing is not so great. I mean, that's what we have, and unfortunately, it's lasted only about ten years. And a good hymnal should last about twice that much. 
Yeah. So um, we, we decided that it's going to be a better investment to switch rather than mm-hmm. to um, just a better use, our, a, a better steward rather than replace, replace them with what we got. And I'm looking forward Absolutely. to it. I mean, stuff in that that I'm that 40 that it's going to be really have. There's some stuff mm-hmm. that's in the that's not in that that I'm going to miss. So yeah. it's kind of a yeah. wash in that respect. But I'm, lo- I'm really looking forward to to having those. I'm going to pick up then with uh, what you began on the Proverbs. Um, yeah. And incidentally, just before, you know, once upon a time, um, in a pretty typical, you know, 1980s, 1990s evangelical Bible, and, um, mm-hmm. I was a proverb every day because there's chapters, and that's, that's in my mom. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. in, in many years, I'm thinking about picking it back up. Man, but, I would encourage to do it because the same thing with me. Like when uh, when I was uh, a kid, like um, I can't remember if my parents told me that or who. It might have been even a youth pastor from the local UMC church that I grew up in, but did the proverb a day and uh, actually used that with uh, with some of our youth. Because I asked them, I was like, "You ever heard of this practice?" And they're like, "No." And I was like, "Well, take it up." And I was like, "I'm gonna, you know, ping you and uh, you know, like randomly in the month." And just, you know, see if you're reading it, you know, and, and just kind of get your thoughts because the Proverbs are, can be unique in some circumstances. And uh, it was a great exercise, you know, just to get um, our youth group to kind of do that and, uh, and talk about the scripture. And uh, I'll use that to try to wean them from, okay, proverb a day to like, let's pick up the Psalter and, and start doing that now. And um, now I was, I was lenient on them. I used ACNA's like sixty day psalter. I was like, do this, you know, and um, yeah, you go to the psalter in, in two months, and then the next shift is trying to kick him over. Like, all right, let's be real men and do <laughs> the thirty day. Get, get that thirty day. Yeah. <laughs> the way Cranmer yeah. intended it. So. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's, it's was when I was in high school. Um, I, I did at the encouragement of my English teacher. Um, yeah. For my last three years in high school, I, I, I. In, in ready writing, um, where they give you a prompt and then you have to write an essay kind of thing from oh, our cool. local kind of regional kind of competitions. And okay. um, having gone through the Proverbs often, um, I think there was a single essay I didn't quote Solomon at one point or another, you That's know, because awesome. it's in my head, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of it. And, and that's why I was trying to encourage you know, like, uh, these members of our youth, I was like, do this. And, you know, just like the liturgy, like, you're going to realize, like, it's just in you, you know, yeah. and it's, it's just, and it's good to have. It's, it's that way, you know, when you're in a situation, you can just reflect upon the word and, uh, it's right there in your heart. Actually pick up on that, that discussion. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Second to last paragraph on page 19. In the book of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of wisdom, but also the beginning of knowledge. There can there there can only be godly fear in the soul when there are large views of God and small views of man. Filial fear being judged and cast into hell, but it is the awe, reverence, humble dependence, and profound sense of dependence God upon the holy Lord God of hosts. Godly fear is encouraged in the common tradition by the repeated addressing of God as Almighty God at the beginning of the collects, 
and happiness is generally preserved in ACP 1979. Lord our God is holy with an absolute almighty holiness that knows no degrees and he cannot impart to his creatures for he is God and they are the work of great power. Yet there is relative and contingent holiness which the Lord shares with the holy angels in heaven and with the believing sinners on earth. The will of God is the sanctification of mankind in Christ. His command in both the Old and Testaments is, Be holy. holy. Leviticus 11.44, 1 Peter 1.16. God shares his holiness with those who know him through imputation of Christ's righteousness and justification and impartation of the indwelling Holy Spirit in sanctification. The common tradition faithfully sets forth this sharing. Yeah, the um, I was I was just talking with my with eldest my my soon to be girl last night about the fear of yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're reading some Exodus based Bible right now, and she was mm-hmm. asking, okay. You know, I don't know. We got into Joshua. Um, and uh, where Joshua, it's, you know, you need to obey God. It's going to happen. She says, what yeah. happens if you don't obey God? And so I was sharing stories of, mm-hmm. you know, stories in the book of Joshua. What happened when people didn't obey God and how scary. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, that's. Mm-hmm. And she was, she was yeah. like, that is very scary. I was like, yeah, but let's talk about um, how this fear is different because of Christ than it mm-hmm. is. You know, we have that same kind of scariness anymore. Although we do yeah. need to have that awe and that fear of God. Um, and I don't know that I communicated it very well, but it's, it's very, it's easy to be very confused by what fear of the Lord ought to look like. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And that, that's something that I remember for, for years uh, being raised in the faith, you'd read the fear of the Lord and you would just think of it from one aspect of, of being, of being scared of the Lord, you know, as a kid, you know, that's how I was hearing it. You know, like the fear of the Lord, you know, oh, to be scared of God. And there is a certain aspect of, of that kind of fear. But I like how he, he points out that it's not the fear of being judged and cast into hell, mm-hmm. but it's this all reverence and humble dependence, a profound sense of dependence of the child of God upon the holy Lord God of hosts. And that kind of that godly fear, you know, eventually as, as I grew older, um, at some point there was a sermon that it's in my head. I can't remember where I was at. I think I was in a Baptist context at, at that point in which it was, it was accurately explained as that. And I was like, that makes so much more sense. You know, it really gives, you know, meat and bones to uh, what Dr. Toon quotes a moment ago, of like the, the beginning of wisdom or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you, and you see why uh, you can really start to, to know, learn and understand uh, the Lord and the world around you by having this holy reverent fear of who God is of knowing who God is. And even when it makes me think about, you know, uh, you talked about Joshua and a little bit about Exodus, about when, when Moses encounters God, you know, in, in the burning bush and, uh, you know, God warns them, you know, like to, to don't tread any closer to, to take off the sandals from his feet. Um, you know, Moses is prostrate and, um, and is in, Probably is in a literal fear. <laughs> uh, I think I would be, uh, you know, seeing something like that, but but also in, in a holy fear of all and reverence of of whom it is that he's encountering. Yeah, I, one of my preachers likes to say something to the, the effect of, you know, if you've never stood before God and been scared, or if you've never stood before God and been confused, you're probably worshiping an idol. Mm. Uh, mm. 
there's there's something true to that. Um, yeah, absolutely. At the same time, I've kind of come to like you know talks about that filial fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the word the tune uses. That's a that's a really good term. Like, you know, yeah, I'm I like afraid, that. You know, I'm not that my mama's punish me at all, or my dad's going to punish me. But you know what? I am still yes. afraid of disappointing my parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is, and, it, and it's not because I'm afraid that the relationship's going to be damned. My parents are the coolest, um, most easygoing. They, they love the Lord so much, love their kids so much. That's not an issue. But I, I just don't want to, I just don't want to disappoint them. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with, I'm not afraid that my bishop's going to smack me down, but he's my bishop. Yeah. You know, I I don't I want to do something that brings shame, to, you know, or, or makes him bad or yeah. makes you know need a yeah yeah you know again it's it's not yeah I'm not, I'm not afraid of the man but but he's my bishop you know? yeah mm-hmm. I think those that that's helped me understand fear of the Lord. Absolutely. And like you said, you know, the fact that we live on, on this side of the resurrection where, where Christ reveals that, uh, you know, that the, the, the father itself, you know, that in terms of the Trinity, that, that there's God, the father, you know, and that's how we're to pray to him, you know, our father who art in heaven, that there's this relationship that comes from a fatherly love um, and much more. And, and we read uh, Hebrews four about, you know, we can, because of what Christ has done for us as our great high priest, you know, in verse 16 of chapter four, like, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace so that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can boldly walk into uh, the presence of our father, knowing that our father will, um, will just bless us with, with grace and, and mercy because of what the son has done uh, for us upon the cross and through his resurrection. And, it's something that you definitely don't want to overemphasize one aspect and not the other um, because you can kind of give someone the, the wrong impression. But this is a good discussion, I think, that, that's really timely because, you know, from the, the specific worship context that I came out of going directly into Anglicanism, uh, I wasn't young, restless, and reformed at the time, probably because I was a Methodist <laughs> going into being a Baptist, you know, into Anglicanism. So I hadn't quite, you know, been reformed yet. So I was young and restless. (laughs) But uh, going from that context, you know, it was very much leaving a a worship that was centered on me, that was provoking my emotions. And it was not me going in to worship the holy God. It was me going in to get a spiritual high. And I wouldn't have defined it like that back then. I didn't realize what was going on because, quite frankly, the Lord was gracious and was moving me. Um, you know, to, to head towards Anglicanism. Uh, at that point, I'm much more, you know, academic-minded in terms of, of my faith to, to read church history. And then I got convicted of this isn't how we're doing worship, so something is off. But it was later on as I matured further in the faith that I realized, hmm, I wasn't even really worshiping God. I was going Sunday, you know, trying to be a good, you know, person, you know, fulfill my moral duty, and then I was getting my spiritual high and not really entering the presence of God and just worshiping him, thanking him and proclaiming, you know, glory to his name for what he's done um, you know, through all creation, uh, through the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and, you know, uh, again, we, we, can, we can even fall into those, those patterns, those same patterns when we, you know, over focus 
on, you know, the, the beautiful organ and choir and the stained glass. Yeah. You know, it's so pretty to be in here. You know, I'm, I've mm-hmm. I'm walked into the cathedral and therefore, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm getting that, that high of being in a place of beauty. Yeah. Um, I think it's a different kind of, a different kind of high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not a bad <laughs> thing to engage our emotions, but yes, that, that can't be the focus. That can't be the focus. Yes. Yeah, and there was sorry, I laughed there. Just a different kind of high, you know. Like, <laughs> choose, choose your spiritual high, you know. So, I could think of some very. This is going on there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I could think of a lot of ways to title this episode now. So. <laughs> choose your high carefully, but uh, but no, but I mean, you make a good point, and, and it's something that needs to be said because um, I'm always trying to be, you know, self-critical about our own tradition as Anglicans, because it's easy for me being a, um, you know, people like to say convert to Anglicanism. I don't like that word convert because, right. you know, I'm already converted to Christ, you know, right. we're Christians, but, but coming into Anglicanism and it's easy to have that, you know, stage cage, you know, reaction of being a, a convert to another tradition. And we see it in every tradition, you know, you can pick and choose. Yeah. And, and I was there at, at one point, you know, and, um, it's it's silly and childish of me, but then trying to be self-reflecting, and you're absolutely right. You know, you can go with the so-called smells and bells uh, aspect of it and say like, well, you're just doing it in a different way. You know, aren't you really just satisfying your own personal desires? And it's not a rock concert, but it's a different aspect of it. And you certainly can't fall into that abuse, but that's why we've got to be anchored. You know, dare I say, on our formularies mm-hmm. and make sure that we're doing word and sacrament. And, uh, and of course, every church doesn't need to be a Gothic cathedral or you'll go broke trying to be Baroque and Gothic. And um, <laughs> it's possible. So there's my dad joke for that. But <laughs> that's not true. There'll be plenty more dad jokes yeah. for my family afterwards. But but yeah, but I think you make a good point that we really need to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And that is word and sacrament uh, ministry. And if we're, you're going to if you have the ability, you know, to to elevate your worship in terms of, of uh, you know, having these aspects of, of, it's not required by the prayer book, but certainly something that you can have as part of your Anglican worship. You know, the good thing is, is that we are erring on the side of, this is coming from the heavenly pattern of worship that's in the book of Hebrews, it's in the revelation of, of St. John, that goes back to um, the Old Testament, uh, but in the fulfillment uh, of the Old Testament. We're not uh, offering sacrifices, but uh, we're celebrating the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ and, um, and we're partaking of him, um, you know, through the, the Holy Sacraments. So uh, very much something that we need to be aware of as Anglicans, that we don't need to be triumphalistic, you know, about, um, you know, what we have. Uh, I also really liked um, Tunes pointing out how God shares his holiness through both justification and sanctification. And the way he worded that, um, you know, he shares his holiness, those who know him through imputation of Christ's righteousness and justification and um, impart the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. And it is, it is so neat to watch or just to see tune formularies because i mean that's where he's mm-hmm. making yeah. that make that distinction but it's not a distinction that is a that is a barrier they kind of blow you know our sanctification 
from our justification, even though they aren't the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. that's to me kind of on a, on a theological sort of, sort of sense, that's a real cool thing to see. Just kind of, no, you're absolutely into, the, right. into it all. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm just going to copy and paste this quote, you know, next time I need a, an, an easy way of distinguishing between uh, the two, because people really prefer a soundbite these days. And yeah, I like how he takes the, the verse that, that's echoed in both the Old Testament and the New, in Leviticus and First Peter, of be ye holy for I am holy. And it's real easy. You've seen abuse of this uh, in the church of where you give the law, you give the gospel, and then you give the law again. <laughs> and um, and not explaining that, look, it's not now you got to go do it. Jesus has, has died for you. So now you got to go and be holy. But as he says, God shares his holiness. God shares his holiness with those who know him through the imputation of Christ's righteousness. So justification by faith alone, imputed of righteousness, and the impartation of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Here we are, you know, getting ready to, to get into that season of Pentecost and uh, and really emphasize uh, the sanctification of, of God's people. That uh, for far too often, I think that in many church uh, traditions or local churches, you hear one emphasized over the other in terms yeah. of law and gospel and also in terms of justification or sanctification. And if we don't have them together, you know, holistically, then you can really send uh, a parishioner or, or you yourself, if, if you're only hearing one aspect of it, can really find yourself back in a rut of like, I believe, you know, but why do I still feel like I'm, I'm in this rut? You know, I yeah. can't accomplish the law. What's what's wrong? You know, it's like you need to hear about the good news of like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ ascends so that he can send his Holy Spirit so that through God, he shares his holiness and we are not alone, uh, that he is with us. So I'm sorry, I'm preaching. <laughs> As like, you should, because you are a preacher. <laughs> this is true. Touche. As, As am I. As, well, yeah, this was this great. This is this was, yeah, a, it was. this is a good chapter. Absolutely. And uh, looking forward to starting. Uh, on our next episode of Baptism and Confirmation. So if you're reading along with us, we're starting Chapter 5, Baptism and Confirmation, and I can guarantee you it will take at least a couple episodes to work through that. (laughs) (laughs) Looking forward to that next time. Likewise, Isaac, likewise. Well, always good uh, to be with you, brother. Uh, I'll say be with you virtually, uh, talking with you, and uh, looking forward to doing our next episode in a week or two. Amen. Everybody take care and have a good one. God bless. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that that spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while, a little longer. Build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Miserable Offenders is a production of the North American Anglican. Learn more at n-o-r-t-h-a-m-anglican.com.